0: Thank you all for tuning in. The following is a presentation of Bald Spots Productions. Be sure to like, comment, and share. You know, subscribe, follow, whatever it is you've got to do to kick that algorithm into gear and help us reach more people. Yes, it is I, your humble host, Bill Hatch III, coming to you live from the village of of Bald Spots Productions here in the beautiful city of Malden, Missouri. Joining me from more than acceptable safe social distances are my guests for today. Wynn, oh, and I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your last name. Shwartau?
1: Shwartau, exactly. Shwartau,
0: all right. Wynn Shwartau. How are you doing, Win?
1: Caffeine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely understand. Um, yeah, I'm, I am caffeinated for the day myself. Um, also, uh, rejoining us for a uh, for a, a comeback tour is uh, Andy Charles. How are you doing, Andy?
2: I'm great, Bill. Thanks for asking. Glad to be here.
0: Now, uh, the first question I always ask my guests is, who are you reading right now?
2: Oh, who or what? <laughs> who or what? Um. <laughs> so, can I show you this? <laughs> sure. Welcoming. Okay, it's um. becoming... Becoming awesome. Flossum. Oh,
0: becoming Flossum. Awesome. Okay.
2: Yeah. It, it, it's written by Christina Mandlakiani, co founder of Mind Valley.
0: Okay. I've heard of Mind Valley. That's, uh, what's a yeah. key takeaway yeah. you've gotten so far?
2: Uh, well, the key takeaway for me is how she's able to be very vulnerable and open up about some of the personal struggles that she's had in life. And the lessons that she has learned, and now she's willing to share that publicly in this publication and has a lot to do with accepting some of the things that we don't want other people to know about us. And she calls them flaws. But also to realize that those are some of the things that consistently help us to understand how human we are. They make us understand how human other people are and help us to come together and create a character and a mannerism that merely deals with the reality of what we feel on a daily basis. And there's nothing wrong with us, or there's nothing to be ashamed about. It's just a matter of being able to proper manage ourselves and show up how we can in our best possible form every single time.
0: Okay. You know, it reminded me uh, one of my mentors uh, used to call uh, flaws and problems and all that stuff uh, opportunities for improvement, and uh, to look at it in a in a more positive uh, light. That yeah. uh, um, if you exactly. don't
1: screw up, you you fail. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true. Well, you're not <laughs> learning anything if you haven't failed.
1: No, I, exactly. I, I, I see these some of these uh, applications that come in. For people that want jobs and stuff and their resumes say, I've done all this great, I've done all this great, I've never failed at anything. Mm-hmm. Well, what good are you to me then if you've never been through failure in order to know how to properly react to mission critical mm-hmm. stuff, any part yeah. of your life? If you haven't been there, it's like driving. I really hate the way our system of driving is you ought to be in a VR thing and crash and really be on highways <laughs> for like two years before we let 16 year olds out there yeah, no know and experience and build that automatic response in and mm-hmm. failure creates that. That's, that's great comments, Andy.
2: Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Appreciate
1: that.
0: What about you, and what are you reading?
1: oh god i'd read like eight or ten books at the same time wow pick one um <laughs> uh, I, I'm reading, uh, I, the last guy's name is lazaroff as i re- as i remember and he's a sci-fi writer and i, I read a fair amount of time travel stuff because i okay. find it relaxing and that's my kind of <laughs> wind down and uh this one is actually very very linear very easy and uh it's about reality distortion, and this guy ends up in 17th uh, century or 18th century Paris from today. And it's uh, all about the realities and perceptions and trying to survive in that environment. And okay. it's sort of like if you, you may remember a long time ago, and I forget who wrote it uh, Connecticut, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court was mm-hmm. one of those things. Way Samuel Clemens. Is that who wrote it? I, yeah, I it's Mark, Mark I Twain. It's
0: a Mark Twain book.
1: Oh. Uh and it's a retake on that, but you know, okay, I, I enjoy him. And then I read a lot of nonfiction stuff just because I like geeking out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Um, right now, I'm reading a lot of uh, of uh, history stuff for uh, for class. Um, I'm, uh, working on a, uh, masters of divinity in uh, marketplace ministry and they want us to take church history. So I get to, I get to read like six, six or seven books like this one <laughs> in wow. eight weeks. That's a lot. Yeah. So it's, it's not the most exciting stuff you can, uh, you can get into, but, uh, it, it is interesting if you're into the subject, but, uh, um, but yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered about, uh, about time travel. Cause you know, it's like, there's all these things people don't seem to plan for when they're, when they're going for a time, you know, for time travel, like, like language. Like if you go back in time 50 years, are you really going to understand English that they're spe- the English they're speaking? <laughs> and are they going to understand you? You know? Oh, Lord. yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: yes. Yes. Um, One of the great examples is uh, Quebecois, the French Mm -hmm. in Canada. The French in Canada is spoken close, much closer to 18th-century French than modern European French. Okay. Because there was a cultural schism 200 some years ago, right? And the uh, Quebecois style of French uh, evolved. It did not evolve, it remained the same, but in Europe, because of all the cross pollinations, the language evolved.
0: Interesting.
1: So yeah, you can communicate. Uh, When I was a kid, my mother took me to Greece and said, go play with these children who don't speak English. We worked it out. (laughs) (laughs) You can work this stuff out. So the language, yes, language is really one of subtleties much more than trying survival mechanisms and communication. (laughs) wow
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
1: now when i
0: wanted to ask you about uh one of the things that uh that tanya put in uh um in the uh the the form that uh that everybody fills out beforehand um that you Ooh, testified before, before congress and <laughs> uh what was what was that like because uh um you know, I, I can't. I can only watch like so much of uh, of those before I get bored out of my skull. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's it? What's it like to actually be there? Um,
1: what? How I really felt and how my memory remembers that are probably two very different things. <laughs> but um, I was. My memory says I was not overwhelmed. It was just another give a talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more of a pain in the uh can I say that word? pain in the jury sure. um,
0: I don't censor because anybody. because
1: i had to, I had to prepare almost like an academic exercise. we need to know exactly what you're gonna say okay and but other than that um the testimony was pretty straight ahead that was easy and I didn't, back in those days, you know, we didn't have the politicization of what, you know, I'm going to hammer on you. This was a genuine discussion about the ideas I had on information warfare, cyber war, and cyber terrorism. So the congressmen on the panel were uh, actually quite interested and asked Hmm. some good questions. And then they also exposed how little they know technically. And that's still true today. Mm -hmm. Um, the biggest takeaway from it was one of the other folks, and in the uh, interviews afterwards, where I got called a Chicken Little because of uh, my <laughs> discussion about the potential for cyber war, and cyber terrorism, and infrastructure protection.
0: And now mm. it's a big deal. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so much Chicken Little as uh, as somebody who uh, who could see that far into the future and uh, and see what uh, what was coming down the pipe. But uh, so it's uh, so it's really changed, uh, yeah. So it's really changed uh, the way that uh, um, the way that uh, that hearing congressional hearings uh,
1: happen, Then I guess. I mean, there was no antipathy back in those days. I don't even remember, you know, Republicans or I don't remember. It was a there was a guy from NIST that I knew. There were a couple of other folks, Steve Walker. I knew him, and we were all talking tech, which is our comfort zone Mm -hmm. and trying to get through to the congressman on, on the committee. Um, how successful were we? I think it re I mean, we're still 30 years behind 35 years behind where we should have been. Mm. That's no, none of it worked. And, you know, geeks don't get to run the world.
0: (laughs) No, no. Every now and again, they get a few bucks, but, uh,
1: <laughs> but the uh,
0: the the intelligentsia does not uh, does not run the world. That's for sure. The people who get elected know how to get elected, and that's about it.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. wow. So, Andy, how about you? What are you working on these days?
2: Well, personally, Bill, I'm just working on improving me personally, the individual. Um, Self mastery is something that I work at every single day. I would recall on the previous program, I spoke about doing that and Mm -hmm. growing at least 1% every day in life. The other thing I'm also working on, and I think this one is extremely important, is truly establishing the level of influence that I want to bring to the world Mm -hmm. in terms of that level of transformation that I Can inspire people to accomplish. As a life and development coach, sometimes it can become challenging because I also need someone in my corner as a mentor, as a coach, to help me maintain that focus and to deal with some of the stuff that I am internally challenged with as well. So, those are the two major things that I'm currently working on, and I think that I am making pretty good progress. And hopefully that progress is going to be seen in terms of the content that I put out there in the future and the relationships that I continue to build, develop and grow with people who are particularly in need of the stuff that I'm blessed to do. Great.
0: That's uh, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, that, uh, that 1% daily change is, uh, is, is, seems to be a big, uh, a big one these days. Um, you know, if we could get one percent better every day, then uh, um, I, I actually worked out the math once because it's not three hundred and sixty-five percent because the next day it's one percent of a hundred and one percent, and then the third day it's a hundred, it's one percent of a hundred and two percent. So, so uh, but uh, um, I don't know. I, I get bored.
2: Yeah, but l- let me just say this, Bill. Look, here's the thing. At the end of the day, even if you did not achieve what you set out to accomplish, mm-hmm. the fact that you actually made the application, you made the effort, you expanded time, resources, whether it was mental, emotional, physical, social, but you did something. And that's the that's the whole idea, to do something more, that you did not do yesterday, today, because the opportunity is always there for growth, for progress, for development. But you can't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> it's the guy who's <laughs> going to lose 300 pounds because of health reasons can't see 300 pounds. Right. He has to see incrementally the smaller amounts, and do the little things that would eventually lead up. To 300 pounds. 300 pounds should not even be in his immediate psyche or her psyche. Because if yeah. you think about it in terms of that large number, guess what's going to happen? Your mind is going to tell you, uh uh-uh. uh, can't do that. Yeah. Can't expand that amount of energy. Can't expand that amount of discipline. So at the sure. end of the day, it's not about actually accomplishing, but it's about making that effort.
1: Just it's making a-
2: the time and being conscious of what you need to do just to get better and yeah. with everybody it's humanly possible it, it all depends on how you approach it with uh, intentionality and a detailed commitment what works for me may not work for bill what works for bill may not work for win but if we could share with each other and see where we can find some level of compatibility and even differences then even within that is the learning process.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm reminded of the, uh, of the old saying, uh, of the old question, how do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a yeah, time. Yeah,
2: there you go. <clears throat> you know, there so, you go. Uh,
0: don't, uh, don't worry about the next bite. Just worry about the one you're working on now. Nope.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not, not, practically no, when,
1: not practically. My brain is, is like, that's writer's block. And when you can't, when you have this wall and you can't get past it and you got to get, just go, and then you waste two weeks of doing nothing. However, if you let the brain do some work and you say, go, go fix this, go fix this problem and let it do it in the background. um, I don't know whether it speeds things up, but sometimes that's the only way to kind of live with writer's block is to hope yeah. that your brain is doing stuff on its own.
0: Yeah, get uh get distracted oh, yeah. and do something else. You know? It's like oh, when get you
1: distracted. can't sleep it's easy. Getting something yeah. productive. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big difference. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well there you go. I, I, I normally I normally would take walks sometimes. If I'm working on a on a production, I'm working on a sermon, I'm working on a poem whatever it is that requires literally skills for me to write something. And I reach a point where nothing comes, no inspiration, no ideas, nothing. I just can't continue. I leave it. I go take a walk. I look at nature, the birds, the flowers, the butterflies. And I just take my mind out of the environment of creativity and just look at the stuff in nature. You know, go to the park, watch the children play, go to a stream, see the waters flow. And guess what? Sometimes out of the unexpected, boom, a fresh perspective comes, new inspiration, and you start all over again. So it's, it's a process.
1: Nature is your mantra. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I brew beer, so. <laughs> <laughs> I read time travel, and then I absolutely love female detective mid nineteenth century Victorian England mysteries.
0: Wow! Okay, I
1: know that sounds really bizarre.
0: It's a very specific niche,
1: wow. but <laughs> it is. My wife and I I'm really got after COVID began, you know, everybody, we started watching British mysteries because they're calm. Okay, three octogenarians died. We'll solve it, but let's stop by the pub before we do that. And you get an <laughs> hour and a half show like that, and it's like very peaceful murders in. And I found that I really enjoy that era's kind of. You know, we all have our quirks.
2: We do. Yes. we do. Oh,
0: so uh, um, uh, so when are you writing uh, now? You writing yeah, something? I,
1: uh, I, uh, I, yes is the big answer and the frustration. <laughs> uh, I finally crossed over or broke the dam on the writer's block four days ago, and it's a it's a book called Metal War. And okay. if you go back to the stuff I did thirty five years ago, info war, cyber war, and I was crazy and all that. Cool, no problem. Um there's a new kind of warfare and I call it meta war and it's for ultimately the control or lack of control or individual control over one's identity and sense of beliefs and realities and who's really in charge and how can it be manipulated. And uh, it comes along with a fairly simple thesis. If you'll bear with me, it's called the metal war sure. thesis. And, uh, it's the art and the science of uh, creating immersive belief systems, whether it's for good or for bad. It doesn't matter what the intention is, but it works very simply. You know, they they, they say um the metaverse. And I don't that that's brings up a ready player one, Neil Stevenson snow crash kind of mm-hmm. matrix thing. And yeah, that may okay, that's off in the future, and we have some cool tech and I talk about all that. But the fundamental thesis is what is the difference between going into the full on metaverse and reading a book that absorbs you, watching a TV show that absorbs you and immerses you into it. So the thesis is pretty straight ahead. Uh, Everything is about storytelling and it's fundamental to all human uh, communications. And the goal is to create an immersive experience, whether it's uh, Homer talking about troy around a campfire in ancient greece creating an immersive experience that you can actually see and believe and i do this with audiences live to get them to shut their eyes and i take them somewhere and all i need to do is have them become aware for after five or eight seconds that they were somewhere else and that gets them thinking and once i've got a immersion going on i have created reality distortion i have changed your entire perception of reality for some period of time and that allows me then to and they use the word disinformation misinformation a lot and that's fundamentally in my opinion not the problem it's too much information <laughs> as we have been in the information age i hate the term but roughly since the mid-1950s explosion of data and our sensory inputs and the book goes through what happens to us physiologically and mentally with too much information turning into why disinformation works. And once that happens, then you have manipulation. Once I have enough disinformation out there and they have the math studies, they got the clinical studies of exactly how this works. I've got manipulation. I can manipulate you by using a reward system, whether it's an NFT and an eight-year-old girl's game playing Candy Crush or getting a like. That reward is all about digital opioids. And those digital opioids then create addiction to the narrative, regardless of what the narrative is, a good guy narrative, a bad guy narrative, a conspiracy narrative, and ultimately it ends up with compliance and belief. And that is what we're facing right now with the concentration of immersive technologies that are going completely out of control and unrestrained, despite what Congress thinks they're doing as they announced this morning on child safety. Eh, what they're doing is bullshit. It's not enough. It's not. It's, wow. It doesn't even approach the problem. Wow. So when I look at the Metawar thesis, it's really quite. It becomes an existential issue. Are we willing to give up our identity to coexist with technology? Hmm. Wow. And that's what the book is about.
0: Okay, that's uh, that's pretty deep. Um, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we had nope. a. Uh, we had a conversation about uh, um about narratives in uh, in race relations and uh, um mm-hmm. and it, it it the way the way we were talking about that remind you know i'm reminded uh, by what you're saying that um you know that people create these narratives to say to to to, for, to guide people, I guess, if you want to put it in a nice way, force people if you don't, um, into these belief systems and actions related to that. Um, where, mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah. And uh, um, so, yeah, so it's just a, a technological component now of that same basic premise.
1: Yeah, when the baby comes out to shoot, it doesn't know hate. It doesn't know right. prejudice. It has no opinions. They have to be taught.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, and uh, and now the uh, um, and now we have technology doing uh, doing that for us.
1: It's amplifying it the the amplification curve. And again, in the book, there's a lot of geeky geeky stuff. And and the reason I make it so geeky is I'm trying to get a group of different engineering disciplines, science disciplines, uh, policymakers, educators, philosophers to start talking about it as an interdisciplinary uh, human issue versus purely just a technical issue. But in order to make that argument, uh, the goal is to say, the science is here. Here is the science. This is what we know now. We got to start dealing with this now, but not in our individual disciplinary stovepipes. We've got to look at this uh, as a, a, a human pan-planet issue.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you were going to say something, Andy?
2: Yeah, um, I'm I'm listening to Win, and it's very instructive that he's speaking about a collective effort. But, you know, when I, I mean, I'm in the Caribbean, right, for example, and our diaspora is quite diverse in terms of culture, ethnicity, and all of that. But at the end of the day, the question is, is there one or two or maybe three things that we can have in common that if we come together and deal with the things that we are most challenged with in terms of how we build our civilization or continue to build our civilization, that we can all mutually benefit from in terms of that coming together. And if we can't, well, then let's seek to find a way because we are supposed to be the head of all creation in terms of all the creatures that have been created. When you look at the jungle, sometimes you see animals living better than human beings because obviously they seem to understand that there's a cycle or a circle of existence that that takes place where some may be in in, in, in a place of superiority and some may be in a place of inferiority, but still all are acceptable at one point in time. However, when we look at the history of man, what we have come to realize, I certainly have realized, it, that we tend to be a whole lot more self destructive than the animals are. We create bombs that could wipe nations off the face of the earth. What is the reasoning behind that? If you think about it, another fellow human being who has the same rights as you have in terms of existing and being able to not advantage or take advantage of, but being able to have access to all the facilities that we are supposed to be able to have access to, to exist just as basic human beings. Some people think that they should be robbed of that for whatever reasons. Exploitation, cultural differences. We have people in certain areas of the world are thinking about ethnic cleansing. I mean, come on. We are so guilty of being self-destructive that at the end of the day, I sometimes wonder how some of us sleep at night. And I say us oh, because it's a universal thing. It's not a North American thing, a European thing, African, Dunganda. no, it's universal. At some point in time, every corner of the globe has to deal with it. So my main question is, is there one, two or three things, win, Bill? that we could identify as human beings, despite what level or strata of society that we are in, that we could say, if we can come together to deal objectively with the challenges that exist, that affects each and every one of us at different levels, of course, what are those things that we can identify? How can we come together collectively and deal with them, thinking objectively in the end, the result is that it would be better for us to coexist and live, even with the upsurge of technology and AI and all the other things that comes with it. Can we do that? And if so, how? Because at the end of the day, if we can, my friends, the benefits are going to be huge and monumental, and then it will not just be somebody's name carved in the history of time. But it would be for the sake of creating a legacy for many of us and those who are coming after us to now enjoy. Wow.
1: Now, yeah. um, I can address a couple of those issues with fact and then a couple of them with opinion. <laughs> bottom line question that uh, at the bottom of all, uh, Andy, is fear. Hmm. When. Let's look at the human being as we are. We have been in this form roughly for forty thousand years. When we lived in the jungle or on the savanna, we had to survive. We had to hear a tiger, smell a lion, don't drink dirty water, things like that. We had to learn primal survival. And that primal survival mechanism is what is called in uh, various neuroscientific circles system one, mm-hmm. that which we react to automatically. How much is four times four, Andy? Twelve.
0: Sixteen. Okay.
1: 16. All right. <laughs> and how much, is, how much is 27 times 14? Beats me. Right. You knew. <laughs> Bill, you knew four times four is 16. It's ingrained in our system one Mm -hmm. with learning. System one is what our primal reactions and how we relate to the world, knee jerk, gut reactions, those immediate things that happen much faster than our conscious thought. 98% of our brain goes into unconscious system one reactions to our environment and sensory inputs what you want to do. And I absolutely spot on agree. Those are all system two. You used a great phrase. You said thinking objectively. Well, thinking is not part of system one. Thinking is part of system two.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're saying absolutely the right things. And I'm, again, not saying anybody's right or wrong because I'm exploring this and putting ideas out. What yeah. we need to do as when you are walking down a, a, a street in a big city and you hear a, eh, a horn, what do you do? Your system one brain does an automatic evaluation as to how far away the sound is. If it is far away, your system one brain will say, don't worry. If it's really close, your system one brain says, danger, Will Robinson. And what do you do? You pause, you pause to think about the reaction. Where I am focusing this entire effort on Metawar, immersion, uh, reality distortion and perceptions of the world is we need to put a pause into our system one thinking and make that pause mechanism part of our primal responses. I'm in cybersecurity. I trust nothing. But that has become a primal piece of my life. And a lot of folks in our field, scientists tend to be that way, deep thinkers, you know, people that are playing around. it has got to be, you got to think about it too much of humanity because of needs just for survival, operate largely on system one. How do we get that shift to occur? And that is what the end of the book is about, how to actually make that happen, uh, looking at 10 different in engineering disciplines and coming up with some crazy synthesis idea. But yeah, Andy, absolutely spot on. Once we can get people to think, <laughs> that's number one. Get them to yeah. think. Yeah,
2: yeah. But isn't, isn't there enough, win? isn't there enough reason with regards to some level of motivation for people to question more hey what am i doing why am i doing this or is it or is it or is it just simply that primal instinct of this is about me as long as i survive that's it
1: survival our entire biology and mental biology has one goal survive yeah period yeah how we interpret that Our bodies are still primed from the jungle and the savannah. Yeah, it is. Only in, I use the year 1952 for various reasons, but information age, we did not have information overload. Hmm. That you hear little bits and pieces historically about it, but that means they had 16 books in the library. Oh, that's too much. Hmm. What we are dealing with today is called the attention economy. Everybody wants to grab your attention. We have a very limited amount and capacity of information that the body and the brain can absorb per second. We know the numbers exactly. We know where the processing occurs. And that information overload is what is really causing a huge amount of additional layers of fear, the unknown. And returning to a comfort zone. Back, our primal urges always say, get to safety, get to safety, get to safety. Mental safety means I'm not going to change my beliefs. (laughs) That is your knee-jerk reaction. Andy, I don't care what the hell you're saying. I know what I believe, and it really doesn't matter. I'm good. Thank you. It's a primal system one response. You got to get through that first.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Now as, as we can see the um those uh those knee-jerk responses can be vastly different from person to person, um, depending <laughs> on uh on what uh on on how you grew up the information that you were that you were fed when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, uh um you know what was important to uh to me isn't uh wasn't important or what was important to my parents wasn't and the others who influenced me, teachers and whatnot, as I grew up, were not the same as say for my cousin who grew up around gangs and violence and and uh, um, and parents who didn't uh, who didn't really care as much. As, well, a mother who didn't care as much as she should have, but uh, um, you know, and uh, um, and that would be different from Andy's or from yours, when and. Uh, um, you know so uh so we have to i think in some ways we have to figure out how to how to change the way that we're indoctrinated into the world if you will to get those uh those knee jerk reactions to uh to change
1: yep <laughs> uh there's been a lot of work in that i don't want to get too technical but roughly in twenty in nineteen sixty one a guy some scientist i forget his name uh recognized uh, pieces of how the the brain kind of has these two components. It got more formalized over the years. And then in 2017, a group of experimental psychologists out of Cambridge University came out with a, uh, an experiment. How can we change people's belief systems in misinformation, disinformation, how can we? Get them to turn on that question that Andy's talking about. Well, why do the people question more? Because they're not primed to. They're never taught. Too many people are just accept, accept, accept because it's the mentally easy way. System one takes no energy. System (laughs) two takes a whole boatload of actual energy in our body to do thinking. And that is not our comfort zone, naturally. We have to work at it. And so when you look at these pathways uh to getting thinking going there's lots of different mechanisms that can be used and some of them are shock and awe but that only creates the pause button (laughs) make something really loud i'm going to get your attention but the pause button is only the first step of what needs to occur because the pause does not teach system one why it did it. It didn't become an automatic reaction to question things, to question things, especially in an information rich environment where too much information, TMI and information overload is the norm. Yeah, We got to get away from that stuff. We got to start relooking and examining how we are interacting with technology objectively, thinking-wise, in order to apply this to what is known and being experimented with in uh, experimental psychology to see how can we really help people turn on their thinking more often than not. Yeah.
2: You know, it's unfortunate, uh, Bill and Wynne, that sometimes some of the greatest strategies that we experience helps us to find some of the answers that we seek in life. And I I see that in the context of there are times when we have wars and rumors of wars. We currently have wars happening right now. And just as we had came out of the pandemic, COVID-19, there was this sense of realization that we are not all that. (laughs) As a matter of fact, COVID-19, what it did actually was help level the playing field. What I mean by that is simply this. Whether you are president, a prime minister, a megastar, a superstar in whatever arena or or, or your your, your place of genres, you could not escape COVID-19. And from that particular perspective, we found that the fear of contracting the disease made us do things that we would not have normally done. So what we learned is that, that that primal response that we have been toting around for however long comes in and kicks into place to help us survive, seemingly only when when our backs are against the freaking wall. However, why? Yeah. However, uh huh.
1: When you look at the numbers, you have a bell curve, a standard distribution curve. Yeah. And we all the math is well known and it's called Sigma one would be 68.1 or 68.2 percent of the population. The rest of them and those folks said, yeah, we got to survive. We got to survive this. Then you have everybody else. Mm -hmm. Anti-vaccine saying it's whether it's conspiracy theory, fear or whatever. Humanity's reaction to vaccination and COVID COVID met. A standard statistical deviation, and not everybody is playing the same game. That's
2: You're talking right.
1: about sigma one people.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, it's 68 percent of us spot on. But there were that was a lot. I, I spent a lot of time in Paris during uh, COVID, and the sheer number of we'll say demonstrations that went on was incredible. Right. Uh, the, the, the police over there and the government allowed them to demonstrate to get their frustrations out, but it's it's not universal. We, yeah. we really need to apply more science to this and look at if sixty eight percent. Where is the herd immunity mentally? Do we have a, a, a herd a mental immunity? We don't know that yet.
2: We don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it, and it, you know what? It all it boils down to what you were saying before. When, when this thing hit and, and we started to deal with it from different levels, when, because there was so much information coming from so many different quarters and suddenly we had so many experts, it was as if, okay, fine, I'm going to understand it from this perspective and then boom, WHO came and said, Ex- okay, we're going to understand it from this perspective. And then some scientists in some lab in France came and and you had people going back and forth. Here's the thing: what should we believe? What is truth? What is fact? And if we can't make head or tail of it, obviously we're going to just push it away and let it back off. Why? Because we are still thinking: if I can clarify what the information is, then I can decipher whether this is in my best interest or not. So it boils back to the original point that you are making: too much information way too much about one thing from so many different quarters and everybody wants to be right
1: and you have your knee-jerk reactions because that is what triggered uh it triggers your belief system in system one it's like who do you what do you believe do you believe uh, fauci or do you believe he who shall not be named which way do you go and that gets back to us Primal system, one belief system. If you already believe in science, you're going to go with Fauci. If you tend to believe crazy government stuff and all that, you're going to go the other way yeah. or however many different gradations there were in the middle. Yeah. But it's still about fear and mm. comfort zone and belief systems. Wow. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> because it's easier Confirmation mm-hmm. bias takes no mental energy, right? <laughs> Thinking <laughs> yeah. about it, yeah, yeah, makes your brain ache sometimes.
2: Oh, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, Bill. So what? <laughs> yeah. So what? So what? <laughs> so Bill, Bill,
2: Bill. I'm curious. I'm really curious. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I. I sat on my couch Sunday gone looking at the telly the number one spectacle in on the planet <laughs> and yeah when I I know I know I know and I'm thinking to myself it looks like the 49ers are going to pull it off and then in the fourth quarter something seemed to kick the butts of mahons mm-hmm. and all the other guys, and especially Andy Reid, the whole dynamic of the game changed because it seemed as though their entire psyche of how they should approach the game changed. And it tells me something about a championship mentality. The championship mentality does not accept the conditions or the situations that are presented to it, but rather uses those conditions whether they are for or against the champion as a catalyst to bring out within them what they already have before the conditions arise that's the lesson that i learned from that particular episode of watching that game what are your thoughts
1: that is the hacker mentality the computer hacker mentality has been that for absolutely forever Good engineers. All right, good. The greatest hack in history. Okay, I'm not going to get geeky on you. Don't worry. So <laughs> the greatest hack in history. Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Everything went to shit up there. Yeah. yeah. And the scene in down in NASA was a guy, uh, Ed Harris, bringing out the box, and he dumps everything on the on the table and says, "This is all they have. Mm. Save them."
0: Right.
1: And he redefined reality for the guys on Earth.
2: Yeah.
1: Here are the tools available. We don't care how you do it. Yeah. And as you said, your term, think like a champion. And his term was failure is not an option.
2: Right. 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 Wow. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, no, the the champion, the the true champion, thinks differently, and is more in the thinking mode. They're not just uh, they're not just taking knee jerk reactions and and reacting to what's going on. They're able to get above their their instincts. I mean, their instincts are going to be good too, but they get above their instincts so they can analyze. I mean, uh, Mahomes wasn't just uh, wasn't just you know, dodging and, and, uh, and, and reacting. He was thinking and, uh, um, you know, like you said, in that system too, and, uh, and realizing what San Francisco was doing and taking advantage of that. Um, You know, and of course, uh, San Francisco, uh, um, I can't remember their quarterback's name. Um, but uh, they, uh, they just weren't, pretty, uh, pretty. yeah, yeah. and they just weren't, he just wasn't well. thinking uh, that way. Yeah. Pretty just wasn't <laughs> thinking that way. And yeah. uh, um, at least not, an, at least not fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, at that level, it becomes, it becomes about uh, your, your ability to def- speed to the solution as opposed to, uh Yeah. But then again they've got these they've got these things ingrained in them. They've got uh you know plays and and how to react to uh um to obstacles and uh and how to get the uh how to get that ball into the end zone.
1: It's riding a bicycle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These
2: guys live, eat, breed, whatever else you want to describe. The very thing that helps them survive. That, that's how they make their living anyways. So it's, yeah. it's extremely important. Mm-hmm. But I love that Purdy got the experience. I think if he has to take away anything from that is to understand what it is to be on that stage at that level and to perform because of certain levels of expectations. Mm-hmm. And having made it to the Super Bowl in itself was an achievement. They probably didn't even expect to reach that far. So then now that we are here, what do we do? And man, did he start off well. But like I said before, when it really mattered the most, when push came to shove and crunch time came, that championship mentality had to kick in. Mm -hmm. And it kicked in at the right time. And, And that is what makes the difference. And I guess at some point in time in the future, if brock is thinking the way he should be thinking which is progressive he will realize that one of his greatest lessons was just being there and seeing how it is done so that if he gets the opportunity again he himself can make that mental shift that is necessary and just go to another gear because you have to
0: well it, it comes nothing to be ashamed of it. no nothing he doesn't. absolutely he doesn't. not well it, it comes back around to uh, to where we started um he had won too much. Exactly. San Francisco won too much to uh to win the yeah, Super Bowl. They yeah. hadn't learned enough of those lessons from failure. <laughs> uh, you know? uh, there yeah. we go. And so uh so he failed yeah, at you, the you Super can... Bowl and, and we'll be better for it, hopefully. Um Hopefully. You know, and uh for his sake, uh, not for mine. I I'm a I'm a Packers fan, so uh, <laughs> so none of this mattered to me at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, no, I had no dog in the fight at all, other no. than Taylor Swift. Fifty-eight, fifty-three seconds of Taylor Swift, right? Oh, okay. and everybody's going. <laughs> 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 <Okay. laughs> hey,
2: publicity and marketing is a heck of a thing, bro. It's a heck of a thing. It attention, is
1: attention economy.
2: There you go. There yep. you
0: go. Yep. Yeah, and the yeah. marketers are the ones who uh who win, the successful marketers. You know. Um yeah, it's all about uh it's all about marketing in the end. You know, how do you get people to Getting watch your, your podcast head. and yeah, how to get inside your head, how to get uh how to get that system one to change. And uh <laughs> yep. so that uh you become yep. the knee yep. reaction. now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oreos, first thing. Mm. What kind of milk? What kind of, what kind of, what's the first thing you think of? Of anything. What's the first thing you think of? Doesn't matter what the question is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you're going to go with that comfort zone. You're going to, most people are going to go with that immediate comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Unless they have built that pause button into almost everything.
2: Yeah. 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 So true.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, um. You know, it's how we exercise. Those questions are how we exercise our brains. Um, you know, like you said, it's, yes. uh, you know, system one is easy. It's comfortable. And uh, it, uh, it doesn't require any work. But uh, um, you know, if we don't ask the questions, then we just get weaker.
1: Well, here's what's also interesting. When you ask somebody a question, mm-hmm. that automatically triggers a pause because What happens is there's a release of serotonin that calms the brain Mm -hmm. that says, let me think about this for a second. When you begin answering the question, you get a digital opioid dopamine fix. (laughs) How can that all be optimized into reinforcing system one stuff? We don't know that answer yet. But it's one of the ones I'm posing to that portion of the uh, scientific community is that if all of this is happening, let's go look at this path Yeah. So it would potentially using meta war technologies and techniques that I go through using them instead of for control and power and money and influence and all of that, use it to help adapt the human mind to coexist with that which we have created.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: We created AI in our own image. Yeah. We don't like what we see.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's like looking at the man in the mirror.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and here's the next thing I I, I just think that we We sometimes miss the opportunity to go to the better levels because when, for example, you spoke about the serotonin and you spoke about the dopamine, Mm -hmm. what about if we could extend it to where we can get the oxytocin and then we build something that is symbiotically resonating between each other?
1: Well, then then release some ayahuasca and some DMT out of the pineal gland.
2: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> all of this is addressed because of sensory environments and how to manipulate yeah all of our senses yeah. into new realities and belief systems and internal and unconscious system one physiological reactions yeah a yeah. lot of it is known a lot of it is uh Coming about with new tech, but mm-hmm. the, the foundation of it is all very, very real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing stuff. Well. Yeah. I think uh, we should leave them wanting more, and uh, so this is uh, this seems like a pretty good place to stop. Um, I want to thank you both for. Uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was. Andy, uh...
2: so
1: where are you in the trivia?
2: I'm I'm in the Caribbean. I'm in the Twin Island Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, I just... love
1: Trinidad.
2: There you go. I love I've been there in a
1: long time, but boy, the size of that spider that came in our hotel room. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tropical <laughs> forest contingencies. No, our name.
1: hotel it was great. It was right in the they wanted to put put us up into a fancy something, you know, Marriott yeah. or whatever, and I said, "No, yeah. I want Something a little more indigenous. Uh-huh. Well, I didn't know how indigenous it was going to get.
2: I, yeah, I, get, you, I, it get was,
1: I loved it. My wife is a little squirmy <laughs> around these things. And, uh, you know, the window in the bathroom, there is no window, it's hmm. a hole in the brick. And then you just oh, wow. <laughs> creepy crawlies. But what was great is they built the hotel. Uh, facility was like peace and added on through mm-hmm. the jungle and, and over the creek and then yeah. the trees hanging in and we're having dinner and the monkeys are coming down i wow. loved it
2: okay okay
1: <laughs> and wow. the best shark steak sandwich i ever had in my life
2: yeah there you go it's that's a on north beach
1: if i remember correctly
2: oh maracas yeah yeah okay great yeah, it's, it's one of the tourist hubs, tourist destinations that we have on the island. It's a fantastic place. Yeah, we,
1: we hired a driver for the day. Uh-huh. He said, just show us everything, you know, and do the tourist thing. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, that hack, the, the shack with the shark sandwich was just. Yeah. I went back for two more.
2: <laughs> yeah, we have famous beacon shacks down there. So, yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed that.
1: I loved it. I loved it.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like I'll have to get down there. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: Where uh, are you located? I I live Um, in Nashville and on airplanes.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I used to live in Clarksville.
1: Oh, okay. Were you an Army brat or in the military?
0: Army brat. I was a brat. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in Missouri mm-hmm. now, though, so not too far.
1: I'm giving a I'm giving a talk at a conference in Missouri in May, if you care. Oh yeah, it's called Show Me Con.
0: Show Me Con.
1: Show Me Con. It says here May tenth. I'm coming in from California and going to be talking about uh, cognitive defense uh, and for for enterprise for organizations okay well how far are you from st louis
0: uh about three hours
1: yeah it's it's another little town it's right on the river and i forget the name of it somethingville well that's <laughs> got a casino all Things. there you so. go <laughs> sounds like fun tanya, tanya knows my schedule tanya knows the schedule
0: <laughs> okay well i'll have to ask her um, okay, well, uh, uh, yeah, I will because I can put that in the uh, in the description so people can know where to find you. But uh, um, well, you yeah. could also do a show from
1: down there. Do what? You could also do a show from down there.
0: There you go. Hey,
1: can do it anywhere ideas, I want. Ideas, ideas.
0: <laughs>
1: there
2: you
0: go. So, well,
1: well I want to thank again, you, Andy. Good to meet you. Yeah.
0: Thank you both. Uh, before we go, you, you, uh, you. do you have final words for the nice people?
1: Be excellent uh, to one another. There you go. <laughs> my my you, final would
2: him. be people, people just take time to think. Just one second. Just take time to think before you act or react. Consider your options. And then yeah. what you would like to happen to others, ensure that that happens to you. Stop all right, there. now
1: you've got to start making stickers. I pause before I think.
2: Ah, <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> there we go. There
2: you go.
1: <laughs> well,
0: um, thank you again, gentlemen, for, uh, for being on the show. Um, thank you all for watching and listening. And uh, be safe out there. Um, wash your hands and stay tuned for the ending credits. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Bald Spots Productions. I'd like to thank our producer, my beloved mother, Eileen Hatch. I, of course, am your humble host. I'd also like to thank my special guests, Wynne Shorthau and Andy Charles. Support the show if you feel so led over on Patreon.com. We're known as Bald Spots Pro. Don't you dare miss YWL Online. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever fine podcasts are offered. Be sure to tune in next time when my special guest will be Mitch Creighton, who will regale us with tales of foreign travel. Be sure to like, comment, and share, you know, subscribe, follow, whatever it is you've got to do to kick that algorithm into gear and help us reach more people. If you or someone you know needs support now, call or text 988 or chat 988lifeline.org. That is the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline here in the United States.